I can re-rack that, man. I'm a professional. You really? <laughs> so how old are you going to be, Dave? Old enough, man. Welcome, everyone, to the CapsCorner.com podcast, CapsCorner.com, your source for new sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the palatial Franklin States in the west end of Richmond, where it is Tuesday, April the 20th. Uh, we would be recording on Wednesday, um, but this week it's somebody else's birthday. Uh, I'm not going to name any names, but it's the, uh, you know, the oldest one in the group. Anyway, um, we, we're going to talk... Uh, spring football, um, and maybe even talk a little bit uh, transfer portal. I, I joked to the guys earlier today that here we were with a, a episode that looked like it was nice and um, locked in for uh, all football discussion, and then Henry Henry Coleman decided in the enter the portal. Henry Portal, that'd be funny. Um, but anyway, let's uh, let's go around and introduce everybody before we get started. Up in Fishersville, the birthday boy himself, almost David Spence is back on the show. How's it going, my friend? It's going well. Another another year behind me. Um, you know that that was. Oh, I wouldn't say it was a special one, but it's behind me. So here's to what the new year brings. So who days on the board at who days on Twitter? Uh, I just want to state for the record that um, that 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 was the least excited I've ever heard anyone talk about their birthday. Um, and I just turned 40, so I, you know, I, I know a little something about that. Also, I, I threw them for a loop last week when I introduced Ferber first, and it was completely unplanned. Um, and it even even when I was editing the show later, it just felt weird not to introduce you first. So I'm, I'm glad I rectified that mistake. We won't ever happen again. Uh, up in Loudon, staff writer Justin Ferber is also on the program. What's going on, my dude? You can introduce me however you want, man. Whatever you want to do. That's really? Fine. Okay. Yeah, whatever. I mean, at this point, like, uh, what difference does it make? If you're if you're still listening, if you're still listening at this point, you can call me whatever you want. Um, I just sacrifice just, yourself. Yeah, at Justin wow. underscore Ferber on Twitter. Yeah, looking oh. forward to forty five minutes of Super League talk. Super League, yes. So, there was a time. Oh wait, Cavs corner also Cavs underscore corner. Great place for the in game updates, the content items, and the occasional witty banter. Um, there was a moment the other day when I was like, one of y'all needs to explain Super League to me because I'm not, other than Ted Lasso, I'm I'm not a soccer person. Um, now, it, if the Super League was going to mess with Ted Lasso, now we got problems. But, um, yeah. Well, in I'm, theory, yeah, it would because, you know, his club would fall under the His club is fake. <laughs> his club is fake. His club's not Yeah, fake. but, but uh, I haven't watched the show, but I've seen clips, and uh, it's my understanding that they are – they're sort of like Crystal Palace. They they definitely film their stuff at Crystal Palace yeah. Stadium, Sellers Park, um, in London, and they wear like the same colors. So it's kind of like a Crystal Palace vibe. Well, I don't even know what that means, but I, but it's I'm a great show for you should watch it. Moving you, on, <laughs> you should definitely. Everybody out there should watch Ted Lasso. Um, hashtag uh, ad. All right, not a sponsor. Um, so a few weeks ago. We joked and joked about how when it came time this season for us to do the episode where we all, ch you know, we choose our guy and I was going to be stuck with a difficult decision between uh, my 2019 choice, Dontavian Wicks, and my 2020 choice, Lavelle Davis. And uh, that choice apparently just got a lot easier um, in the last couple weeks with uh, the news of his uh, ACL injury. Um, now for the purposes of this podcast, listen, Lavelle Davis is like, <laughs> he's like, a, he's like a superhero. I mean, we, we talked about him early, right before, uh, the season and stuff. Um, I'll still never forget. We hung up that, that call or we stopped recording that night and they were both like, what really Lavelle Davis, huh? Um, but it's a tough blow for UVA and I don't, I, I don't want to gloss, gloss over the loss of Chico Bennett either, both with ACL tears, both in a situation where they could return sometime you know, in November, but I'm not really sure 
you know, who all would support such a thing. Um, Dave, let's start with you. In the pantheon of, uh, I, I said something on the board about basically preparing folks if this was coming, uh, and I said it wasn't nuclear. Is Lavelle, the loss of Lavelle Davis nuclear to you? I mean, it's pretty nuclear. I mean, I mean, I don't think it's. I mean, yeah, I mean, I saw your point. Like, I mean, I think it's a big deal, right? Like, there's probably if you listed five guys on the team, you wouldn't want to lose. Your first two are probably quarterbacks, and then it's probably Lavelle Davis. So, um, you know, it, yeah, it's close to nuclear. They're they're at least got the two keys in, and they're the right one. You know, discussing pushing the button. Um, look, I mean, I think you can make up for his loss, but he's just and there's there's a reason you don't see many guys do what he did. And I think I read White Jeff White's piece today. He's like one of five FBS receivers to have that many yards on that few quetch, catches or something. Um, you know, second in the country in yards per catch. That's hard to duplicate. Um, and we talked about it when we talked about football earlier. You know, a few podcasts ago. I think we all kind of mentioned how you know he's going to demand safety you know double team so well, that's that's hard to recover from not impossible just hard yeah for sure i i think to me the loss of davis is, is in and of itself like take away everything else right bronco came into spring practice and was essentially saying listen we need to get the ball to lavelle davis more He's always open, whether he's open or not. He's always open, and we—it's—it certainly sounded like they understood exactly what they had, and they were going to, to figure out ways to get him the ball more, and that was going to be a big focus of the spring, right? Working that um, chemistry with Brennan Armstrong, and um, it, apparently it was n- literally the next day when Davis went down with the injury. I think it was after that first, or somewhere in late in that first practice. Um, in the if you take away everything else, just having a kid that talented and not having him on the field is, is obviously difficult. But beyond that, you look at what it means for UVA's receiving core. And Ferber, I look at UVA's receiving core and I see Wicks and I hear about, you know, Rashawn Henry having, you know, Broncos say he's having an amazing spring so far. You know, you know what you're going to get in Billy Kemp. You know, you, you know, you've got a lot of stuff that you can do with Keaton Thompson. We know Demeek Starling has a lot of um, potential. Um, Nathaniel Beal, you know, really has come on um, strong, it sounds like, from talking to various folks. This is still a very good wide receiving core to me. Um, how do you make up for Davis? Do you just lean on Wicks? Do you hope that Beal can give you a lot of the same stuff? Is it really a function of you basically still throw up the same sort of uh, jump balls? You're just hoping that your guys go get it? How much does this change the offense for them? I think the big thing is, you know, and I've talked about this ad nauseum the last few years, like, you know, especially early in the season, UVA's offenses have struggled to find big plays and turn chunk plays into touchdowns. And Davis was a guy that could do that sort of, I don't want to say on his own because Brandon Armstrong was finding him and, you know, making the plays happen too. Um, But yeah, I mean, like he was able to stretch the field and he wasn't running away from defenders necessarily, but he was able to go up and make contested catches deep down the field. And I was obviously leaned on, you know, targeted quite a bit down the field. Um, I think he only had, you know, for all the talk we've had about how good he was, and he certainly was amazing last year as a freshman. I think he only had like 20 catches. Um, so I, I think that replacing his like production isn't necessarily his big deal. It's replacing his ability to stretch a defense ability to score in the red zone stuff that um they don't have a guy right now that i would say like automatically you could just be like oh that's the guy to replace it with because we you know i you're not gonna have to convince me to be excited about dontavian wicks like i I am really excited to see him play and i'm really bummed that i mean i was really you know for a while like excited to see him and, and davis play together um because you could really have something there. You hope that Wicks can, he has, you know, elite traits. He can, he can stretch the field. He can run. Um, you hope that maybe he can sort of like take that role from Davis and, you know, sort of mitigate that loss. Um, obviously it's not as good as having both of them. Um, but I mean, I'd, I'd be a fool if I didn't say that he was still sort of unproven. I mean, he, even when he played as a freshman, he didn't have a ton of catches. He had a few looks here and there, um, showed some flashes, but you know, we haven't seen him do that against ACC competition or over the course of a season. So, um, you know, hopefully he can live up to the hype and and do that. And then you mentioned Beal. He's another guy that could be a big outside threat. 
he was the guy I was really excited about when UVA signed him and then sort of bounced around a little bit and, and at one point was in the transfer portal. Um, and you hope that maybe he can come around. And then you have your inside guys. So I, I'm not too worried about the inside guys. Um, but I think that that outside down the field, stretch the field, go up and get a ball threat, I think it's going to have to be Wicks and Beal. Hopefully Wicks is as good as advertised and, and can you know sort of make up for that loss. And then obviously in the red zone, you know, you hope for the same, and then with the addition of Woods at tight end, um, I think that helps as well with potentially being another guy that can go get the ball in the red zone. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point about Woods. I mean, Bronco called him, you know, the really bright spot for the spring, and considering some of the other pieces, Dave, that, that he discussed in that uh, presser, I mean, it was a half hour of, like, there was a lot of, like, meat on that bone. Um Considering some of the other things he talked about, the fact that, you know, he singled Woods out as being, you know, that kid being the brightest bright spot. Um, you are tight end guy here around here. And I think we all Hashtag expect guy. Yeah, right. We all expect that when 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 that part of the uh, of the preseason comes to pass, Dave is absolutely going with uh Jelani Woods. When you watch that kid in clips and, and hear Bronco talk about him and stuff, um, do you feel like a like a sense of uh of of uh, pride it's almost like uh you know the decision's already made for you uh how excited are you about that kid in this offense you know, he looks good i mean you know obviously he didn't play a whole lot at oklahoma state but when he did you know he had some impressive plays you know you know pole john did too like pole john was my guy last year um but you know woods did it against a little bit higher level competition um and i think look losing davis it hurts i mean i think if there's one golden you know there's one silver lining in that cloud. It's this is a team that should run the ball more, and maybe this makes them a little more apt to run the ball more since Davis is kind of a cheat code. Um, I mean, granted, I'd prefer to have him, but if you don't have him, that's the upside. Maybe maybe you lean on your running game a little more than you have in the past. But I think if you couple that with having Woods, like that dude can block and catch and has speed, I think that, that helps your team. Now, granted, you could have all that with Davis, but – that's clearly not an option, at least till November. Um, but yeah, I'm excited about Woods. I like what he does. I think when you run, when you've got a quarterback who can run and a tight end who can catch block, um, catch and block, that's just hard to stop. I mean, you saw how Alvin Poljohn got last year. Now he had a good, good year, but he also dropped some balls. So if you know if Woods can do a little bit, be a little bit cleaner with that, you know, you can get increased production from the tight end spot to help make up for the loss of Davis. The thing about Woods that I liked the most is that Pole Jam was a he was a very talented kid. Um, he was still a little bit less fluid in his hips, maybe. Um, yeah, definitely. And you know what I mean? It was a little, it, and that's not except a for that catch I mean, against Miami when all yes, of a sudden he yeah, got we, all you know, flexible. It was like, oh wow. I mean, look, the kid could get up, right? And he certainly he, he certainly took a pounding. But when it came time to you know sort of out on the run turn catch swivel and sort of go that one was a little bit you know he was a little bit um i don't want to say clunky a little bit less fluid that way i saw a clip of woods the other day where i mean it was a kind of like oh okay like it's just a different it's it's that wide receiver fluidity of being able to have the hip you know where you're turning and going and that's not necessarily to, I'm not saying that he's going to like put up huge numbers, but that's the difference between like a gain of five and a game of like 17, right? Like those types of moves, you're talking about tight little windows of time that if you can get the guy through, it makes a bigger difference. Um, the fact that they're going to lose Davis for the season, but they do have these weapons. Um, and we haven't even talked about the offensive line yet. Hearing Bronco talk about the offensive line um, reminded me of, of like hearing like Tony Bennett talk about like uh, the way guys dealt with like uh, the loss to you know UMBC or whatever. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but like he he really was like, look, it was really hard. You know, guys, you know, it takes a long time to some in some some ways to get your offensive line succession planning going and everything. And he he knew how hard Two J worked, and he knows how hard the guys worked for them to sort of be in a position where they return all these dudes, they're playing as well as they are. Um, this is the first season that I can remember um, in a long, long time of thinking like, oh, the offensive line is not even a thing you need to worry about. Now, I understand that there are folks out there who are very much in a very different camp 
that are essentially like, hey, you're going to have to show it to me. Ferber, where do you fall on that on the offensive line? Do you believe in the hype, and, and is that a foregone conclusion that this, this unit is going to be good? Or do you still need to see it regardless of sort of um, the expectations and the understanding of, like, the roster and the, and the depth? Actually, you know, like the last two years, um, I've been, I was saying, you know, for the first few years of the, of the Bronco era, we heard over and over again every year, like, the offensive line is going to be a strength, and, and finally they're going to be able to lean on it and run the ball, I, emphasis on running the ball. And it just didn't really happen. And the last two years, they've been much better, I think. Um, I don't have the PFF numbers in front of me, but I I felt like last year their offensive line did a nice job, um, particularly in pass pro. In in the run game, I mean, there's still some work to be done, but but Brendan Armstrong certainly was successful on the ground. Um, The running backs, maybe, you know, there needs to be some different things done or something. But, you know, I thought the offensive line did a pretty good job overall last year. And, and they certainly return a decent amount. So uh, I expect them to be good at this point, which is which is much better than where we were a few years ago with this offensive line where it was like hopefully they can cobble together five guys that can, you know, keep Bryce Perkins upright or whatever it was. Um, and, and I think that if you can get that going, you can give Brendan Armstrong time to, to survey the field and maybe take off and run or, or do his read option stuff or whatever, um, let plays develop. I think that just, you know, exponentially helps the offense get to where they need to go. Can, you know, this this offense, even when they were able to add some more explosive plays to the arsenal in the second half of the season, they're still uh, drive the ball down the field to score sort of offense. And and I think that you know one bad one sack, one bad holding call, a couple bad running plays can really derail a drive. And if an if an offensive line can just be consistently above average, I think that that could be enough to you know, put UVA, you know, Bronco mentioned that 30 points per game target. I think they can be right around there again if they can get consistent blocking. And I'm not going to sit here and say, like, I expect them to be Alabama. But at the same time, I think that it's fair to expect them to be solid if they can stay healthy. You mentioned running backs, and that's like the perfect segue because that's where I wanted to go next. Um, so I want to I want to kind of step back for a second, and I want to drill into something that might be nothing. Um, so... Bronco talked about Aaron Famui. Um, he talked about Ben Smiley, guys who opted out last year who are now back and who you know are trying to sort of play catch up, right? And in in both of those situations, and then when he's talked about it generally, he's essentially said like, "Hey, it's it takes guys a little bit of time, um, to, not just to sort of reacclimate themselves, but also when you're working out by yourself, it's just not the same." And when you're incorporated back into the offseason program, it you're not going to hit the ground in the same spot where you left it, right? Uh, that in those cases, he's really hopeful that the spring and, and, and the summer allow guys to really get themselves back on that sort of same, you know, physical development track and that by fall, they're, they're where they need to be. In the case of Mike Hollins, right, he talked about at the start of spring that Wayne Talapapa came in as the experienced guy, as a guy that sort, sort of they knew the best, uh, clearly was the, you know the leader uh, at that position, but now it's a dead heat between Talapapa, Hollins, and Ronnie Walker, and I've never really heard Bronco use some of the language he used in talking about the position. You know, talking about like these guys are essentially the, the same. And then when he thinks about one, he thinks about all of them. He said they've been they've been more violent, more productive, more physical. Um, that that's what they need out of their traditional run, and that essentially it is a dead heat among those three. If Hollins is at a point after taking a year off, right, after opting out for a year, he comes back. If he's at a point where he's already caught up to Talapapa, I think that's a very good sign for UVA's running game because he's the one of that group I think that most people look at and say he's the diff- he's a, he's the guy that's a little bit different. Now, Walker's not, and Talapapa are not, you know, they're not the same in terms of skill set or in terms of, um, you know, potential and that kind of thing. But in terms of maybe hitting the home run, Hollins is the guy who seems to be the most um, maybe ready for that. Now, at the same time, it, I think it's great for UVA that, that Walker is also in a place where he's pushing for, for that sort of playing time. And short of having, a, you know, Bronco coming out and saying, like, you know, Mike Hollins has taken a huge step forward. He is clearly the best running back we got. You know, he's breaking off, you know, 15, 20-yard runs, you know, all the time. Short of something like that, whether it's Walker or even Talapapa and and and, and Hollins, what whoever that might be, short of having that guy, 
what he said about the that group, I thought was probably as good as it could be when you're trying to have a competition at that position. Dave, what do you think? Does that give you any solace to think that um, you know UVA's traditional run game might actually take some steps forward, uh, or are you still skeptical? I mean, like Justin was talking about with the offensive line, like when it comes to the run game with a, a traditional run game, I'm definitely show me um, because I, I mean I felt like you know we had Hollins two years ago. We I didn't you know after that fumble, you really really got any use. Um, so. I mean, I'm excited because I've been excited about the running back stable even last year after Walker was added without Hollins. Like, um, but they've they've got to show they're going willing to do it in game situations, and hopefully with all the guys there for spring, they can kind of earn that trust, and we can see it. Um, look, if I had to put money on who's the starter, I'd say Wayne, just because that seems like the safe bet. <clears throat> but I also think. I also think you can play Wayne as a big back and and have Hollins or and Walker playing with him because if there's one thing Wayne's good at, it's blocking. Um, I mean, he, you if you go back and watch some of the quarterback draws over the last couple of seasons, that dude's laid some blocks. So I don't know why he can't play a big back role, um, especially pairing him with like Walker, who's more of a receiving threat than the other two. Uh, I think is an interesting wrinkle, but you don't hear much talk about the big back, which makes me think they're going to go. You know, use Keaton more and and go more for wide looks. So I'm excited about the potential of all those guys. And then Folston, um, who if you've seen him in videos, looks like a freaking cyborg. Um, you know, uh, maybe maybe he's your big back. But you know, I've been excited about Holland since he signed. And you know, even on that play, he fumbled. Like you know, he's he's a little more ball secure. That that might be six, but he definitely has a burst that you know. Wayne is productive. I, you know, I don't want to act like he's a terrible running back. You know, he's productive and tends to turn out positive yards more often than not. But he just doesn't have that that you know initial burst that you see from Hollins, and we saw it points from Walker last year. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm excited about the position. I, I just want to utilize him more, and I'll only believe it when I see it. Not necessarily in you know the first quarter, but when it's crunch time. Yeah, that makes sense. I think Tyler Papa is like a perfect um, – he's like the perfect piece to have when you are trying to do what Virginia's trying to do with both Walker and Hollins in the sense that you know what you're going to get with Tyler Papa, right? He is extremely consistent at being who he is, and he sort of stays in his lane, and that's who he is. Around the goal line, I mean, he, he – you know, uh, somebody told me the other day, dude, he finds the paint, right? Yeah, um, he's a, he's elite inside the tent. Right, you can say what you want to say about him outside of that, but once once it's pay dirt, he gets yeah, the lanes. Runs are ones where he doesn't get tackled. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which sounds stupid, but it's they're all like seven yard touchdowns. Yeah, yeah. But here's yeah. the so that's the but that's the thing is it like so when you know you have this piece right and you can lean on him if you need to right it's kind of the perfect situation to bring Hollins along and bring Walker along and. Um, you know, Bronco mentioned, you know, we, he said, we still got deception runs, you know, we're good with this, you know, so they clearly have, you know, a full menu. What they want to do is to be better, you know, in a more traditional sense. And I think that's going to be good for the offense and good for Brennan Armstrong. I was fascinated that we went 30 some minutes in this press conference with Bronco, um, on Monday. And dude, I don't think he talked about Brennan Armstrong more than like, you know, and then a passing, you know, we didn't. We didn't really get into anything about him. I think that's you know pretty good sign. There's there's no questions there really. I mean, well, point, my, right? well, the one question for, and I wrote a story about it the other day is like who's who's the backup quarterback, right? Like you you use Thompson and you're and you've used Armstead in sort of a slash role, right? Clearly, Jason Beck has a plan for you know getting some reps for for Thompson and getting the majority of the reps for Armstead at at quarterback. But who's your backup quarterback? Like, what does that look like? Um, is it going to be the Rodriguez kid? Like, because last year it was it was pretty apparent that like they were in a spot where it was Brennan, and then it it was going to be um, Lindell Stone, right? Um, he's yeah, not, for long term, yeah, you know exactly. So you kind of you, you kind of need to have that that piece sort of in place. But you're right. I mean, there's not a whole lot to talk about because you sort of know who who he's going to be, and 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 now it's about sort of getting that chemistry down in the off season and whatnot. Now on the defensive side of the ball. Are we are we deep enough in the podcast yet to start talking about conspiracy theories? Are we are we? I don't think it's a, I don't think it's conspiracy theory. I, I don't think, think it's pretty. I think pretty, it's pretty evident. Yeah. So because if you go back, like that's his preferred thing, right? Yeah. Um, 
he so we should we, I want to premise the, this this conversation by saying that at no point has Broncos said they're changing the base defense, right? Yet everything Broncos said made me think they're changing the base defense, right? He talked about uh, with Bennett being out, he said, you know, he was he was at number one, you know, at that position at linebacker, right? And then he, as he talked about Hunter Stewart being being there in his place, he said he's you know he's next to Nick and Noah, right? Um, when he talked about the safeties, he definitely talked about uh, safety with Joey and Devontae, and then you know who else is going to be vying for that other spot, right? And he said there were a couple of guys you know there. Um, it, it was just kind of it felt to me at least embedded in some of his language that UVA might be looking to go, to do more of that. Noah Taylor, when he talked to us the first of spring, said, "Well, you know, I've been doing a lot more stuff, you know, in the box, doing a lot more stuff, um, you know, almost like an inside linebacker, which makes a lot more sense, you know, if they're yeah. going three three five than it would be. I mean, that's where he should probably be used anyway. Like, that's probably where he's best suited to be. I would say." So and and last year he you know he mentioned it right they they tried to do a lot of stuff with him at safety and try you know and whatever and that just you know he was injured and it just didn't work if you flip that now and it's like oh he's he's playing a little bit more inside it just makes sense to me given their personnel given sort of what they lost off last year's team and what returned um, if they want to go three three five now Dave I know you said the other day you have watched a, a great deal of film. Ferber, have what's your background with three 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 five? Wow, I can't say that very well. Three three. Um, five. I'm uh, pretty familiar with it. Uh, the team that comes to mind is West Virginia. Um, back when Rich Rod was there, they ran a three three five, and then obviously it ended up at Arizona eventually. Um, I, I've seen enough of it. I'm I'm sort of familiar with how it works. I'd probably have to watch some videos <laughs> to get you know to where Dave probably is. But I also <laughs> know that Bronco has some experience with it as well. Dave, as you as as you've researched yeah. the crap out of it um, since then, what's what what are your what are your general thoughts? Well, I mean, basically, it's 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 a three four just with some different concepts. Um, you know, the three three five. You're obviously you're going to have three linebackers, but you know the whole con the whole point of the three three five is to get five dudes on the field who can cover a lot of space and to create confusion with the deep, with the offensive line by bringing four or five rushers almost every play, but bring them out of a three, three stack, basically. Um, you know, if the Sam or the will is, is blitzing, the other guys got, you know, backside protection, you know, in, in the coverage game, you can run a lot of, can run, run a lot of zone coverages out of it. Like, you know, you know, three, three, you know, having underneath and over the top zones, you can run quarters, you can run a lot of, you can run man free out of it. You can run a lot of stuff on the back end. Um, so the coverage part, it just gives you another guy and it tries to create pressure. You know, it, it's not much more than the three, four, where essentially you've got one outside linebacker that's going to rush and one who's going to drop in coverage. I'm um, just now, instead of having that guy dropping in coverage, being a linebacker, now he's a safety. So obviously it makes you a lot more, um, you know, a lot better at defending passing offenses, um, small offenses, but it does put you in a kind of a deficit against, if you get against a team who's, like running power eye, which we might see from a team like Illinois with Brett Bielema. So, um, now look, there's ways to combat it. So, I think when I last texted you guys, I was like deep into the blitz concepts from it. Um, but the more I thought about it as I watched it, is if you think about the defense that Virginia played last year, they didn't play a whole lot of three four. Um, I mean, they played as much two man front as they did three man front, and that was just to get it. They were run, you know two down linemen with four linebackers. Sometimes the linebacker would drop the coverage. Sometimes there would be a bigger linebacker. He would be become your stand-up third defensive end, but it was basically a two-man front with four linebackers. So the upside of doing 3-3 three, three is now you're getting three actual defensive linemen to to kind of help with the run. So I I think you can, you can argue that it might be better against run packages than what Virginia was putting on the field a lot last year. But yeah, long story short, it's not that much different than a 3-4, except you're putting another – you're just putting another DB on the field. Um, and when you get in short yardage stuff, you know, three, three, five can, can quickly convert to a three, five, three, where you bring in, you know, your big linebackers like Horton or, or whoever, and just bring the house to try to defend the goal. So, but ultimately it comes down to the defensive backfield, being able to 
you can't play one coverage out of it, then it's easy to beat. So you got to be able to switch from zone to man and, and have all that communication down, which I think goes along with the conspiracy theory. Are they changing when you, when you hear reports on the defense struggling to pick up the new coverages, it starts to make sense. But that's probably what they're doing. Yeah. And it seems like one of the big things, and you can correct me if I'm wrong with a three, three, five is like one, you have to have your DBs or, or like you guys in the box, you know, playing safety, whatever, they have to be able to come downhill and make plays, which if those are your best athletes and best players that, that you have, I mean, a three, three, five can sort of work pretty well in college. Um, yeah. You know, you can have those guys get downhill. The difference is from, from my understanding, at least is like when you run the stack three, three stack, a lot of your blitzing has to come with like stuff up the middle or like flooding one side of the field um, with the line rather than like the three, four is like really designed for edge pressure you know, yep. and, yeah. and the three, three, five doesn't really allow you to have that because you have to have six guys kind of in the middle of the field. Yeah, it's very true. But if you think about the way Virginia blitzed a lot was with, you know, Zane and, and, um, mm-hmm. and even Jordan Mack, they were, did a lot of A and B guy blitzes with the inside linebackers. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. Um, and but, I don't know if they have a ton, like they're not as loaded on the edge this year as they normally are. Right. No, I mean, not with proven depth. Like I think yeah. like, so I'm thinking like if you're running a three, three, that's what I was saying. Like you can convert that to a three, five, three or go to a three, four, just bring in. Like, and look, if it's first and goal to none, you probably don't need three safeties. Like you switch that guy out for a linebacker to go get, you know, go hit somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, most of the, most of the blitz concepts involve, you know, flooding the a gap on one side or, a bunch of stunts, a bunch of twists. Um, your defensive line usually taking, you know, taking the inside of the tackle to try to free up, you know, occupy him so the linebacker can go outside. But like it's just like three fours, different ways to get there. Um, and it also it seems like it would allow you to. It also seems like it would allow you to kind of put your best three linebackers out on the field, and then yeah. like if you can consider Taylor like an in the box defensive back. Yep. You could you could just be like, all right, who are three best? Instead of being like, this guy's an edge guy and this guy's an inside guy. You know, you could sort of be like, okay, you know, it's sort of a blend between the yeah, two. I mean, and honestly, I mean, I, I mean, how often are teams in the like you said? How often are teams really in a base three four anyway? There's so many nickel packages anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so it's and when like, and when Virginia got into three four last year, a lot of times teams would stay no huddle, right? So they couldn't sub out of it. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of the three four. Trust me, I'm not going to say the three three five is better. I think you just kind of have to adapt to the personnel you have, um, and maybe if they were just playing around the three three three, um, when Chico got hurt as, as a guy with really good size to kind of, you know, in a three four that other outside linebacker has to be able to eat some blocks. Um, so you got to have size on him. You know, you know when Virginia struggled a little bit when when Snowden went out last year, it's because you know it took Elliot a little bit of time to learn how to. How to be physical? Um, three three, you can get by with a little less physicality from your linebackers because they should have open holes to go through if your defensive line's doing their job. I mean, that's what it boiled down to me is like compare what's the plus or the minus of this roster switching. And I think the big plus for me that kind of made me think this is the right decision is thinking about how often last year's team got beat over the middle because the linebackers couldn't drop fast enough. Yeah. Like it's a lot easier to have a third safety coming downhill, right? To kind of hit that seam route than there's it is no to gap behind the linebacker. Yeah, because there's somebody there. <laughs> yeah, I mean there can can be gaps if you're playing zone deep zones behind it, but or like, if a team like really spreads you, if a team like really spreads yeah. you out, you know a lot. But there's a difference between that happening because they guessed the right play call against what you called versus happening when they knew exactly what you're doing and you knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I mean, yeah, I think. Hunter Stewart, I mean, to me, like he's more of a athletic outside linebacker. Like he's a more of a space, a sp- in space, you know, coverage guy than than say like Snowden would have been. Um, so I, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, there's so many different ways you can play it, but we know, like, you know, if you go back and look when Bronco was hired, like he said, the three three five is my preferred defense. So he's always coached it. The three four, he kind of he does it based on who he's got. You know, at, at BYU, he it was a lot easier for him to recruit big big dudes who could run and it was the fun DBs. So he went to the three, four there. I think in the, in, in the long term, right. It, the, this defense is going to be, if they're going to play a different look, right. How does that impact the way we think about the, the whole havoc and the whole ethos, right. Of the group. 
And what I kind of find fascinating about the timing of this, and, and if they do, in fact, sort of switch things up, is this is also coinciding with a move by Bronco to change some things up on the defensive side, right? So Hunter goes to safeties, Brumfield comes over, and he's handling corners. Papinka has all of the linebackers as a group. Um, in any in any sort of transition, there's going to be some growing pains. And given some 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 you know rumblings and whispers and things that I've heard about you know sort of the way practices have gone, it, so- it certainly sounds like the offense is pretty far ahead of the defense. But if that that makes sense, even if it was just you know um, you know guys trying to get accustomed to new positions, and it wasn't um, you know um, guys who are playing. Um, you know, different coverages and, and things like that. Right. So you have, you have pieces that are sort of moving into place and they're also doing some things that are different. Um, does the, I guess I, I want to open it up to the both of you here. Cause for me, this is what, this is what stresses me about this defense, which is I still don't know what the back end's going to look like. And I'm not sure that, that if they decided, you know, and then this is really something they're going to do and it's not just something that they're sort of you know, toying with right now, but um, if they do decide to change things up and you are talking about asking your DBs to do some different things, unless they're going to have different guys doing that last year is going to be really hard for me to get out of my system. Right. And that is not that I'm not taking any shots at anybody. I'm just saying like UVA was re- that really struggled uh, against the pass, especially in, in, in the big play. Does this change invoke confidence in you? Does it make you nervous? Ferber, let's start with you. If the, if they do go to the stack, what what does that mean for you in terms of your confidence of their secondary? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it, hey, sometimes I don't know is an answer. Yeah, I mean, like corners are going to be on an island, and I think that's where they really struggled a lot. Um, you know, in, in the games where they gave up a lot of yards, guys getting beat one on one. I don't know if I mean, I need to. I haven't done the film room yet. Um, we'll save that for the <laughs> summer, but. You know, like, I don't, I don't remember feeling like a lot of their issues were like, oh God, you know, guys were failing the schemes. It was more like guys aren't in the right place to make the play. Like that Wake Forest game, I remember we did do a weekly film room on that. And, you know, there were a lot of plays where guys were just getting beat down the field. Like, I don't really, there wasn't much else to say about it. Um, the North Carolina game, guys were just getting beat down the field. Like, um, I don't know if that necessarily changes in a three, three, five. Like, I don't know if you can assign more help over there. Um, I don't, I mean, I, I can't remember Bronco saying anything specifically about the corners and being like, Oh, we need to change the way we're doing that. So, I mean, we'll have to see like what, what they come out with and hopefully some of the additions they made to the roster help. And, you know, I, I think it's just going to come down to keeping guys healthy you know, trying to minimize damage with help over the top and, and um, you know, better play a corner because that's really been one of the areas where they've been exploitable in the last, I don't know, what, 15 games or however many games it's been going back to two years ago, the end of the season uh, when they had the injury issues um, going into the postseason. So, yeah, it's certainly an area that they need to improve. I don't know if, like, switching the defense in this front seven really changes that a whole lot. I will say this, yeah, I mean, Dave, real quick before you ahead. answer. I, I, I will say this. Um, the super seniors, I've heard Alonzo has looked great. I've heard that Blunt is is, is certainly benefiting, as Bronco said, from um, having an actual offseason and, and being healthy going into it and, and being able to, to really train and, and, and be where he needs to be. Um, my understanding is, is that Nick Grant has been out some, um, and so that's probably allowing Anthony Johnson to get some burn. Um, Darius Bratton to get some burn. Um, you know, in terms of where the secondary goes, it, it probably will be as much about not just the guys we know or the guys we, we, we know the most. It'll probably be more about those other guys, right? The Chase Chalmers, the Antonio Clarys. Um, you know, who's in the mix of those positions? I think that's one of the things that's tough about spring is that there's not really a hard and fast like, oh, this guy is doing this, so that means something, right? That's, that's what you get when you get into fall practice. And um, for me right now, because it's hard not to still think about last year, I do have that trepidation. But I think um, in the in the in the final analysis, like, you know, the the secondary is going to be, um, I think, at least the secondary is going to be pretty talented. 
Um, the question is whether or not they can make a play on the ball. And I know that that sounds super simplistic, but I, I, I listen to Ricky Brumfield talk about, you know, finding the ball, making a play on the ball, such and such. And it was unlike anything I had heard with any regularity um, from UVA's coaches in a while. And that's not, I'm not, again, not no shots. I'm just being honest. Like in terms of what that meant for this team, you know, we used to talk about how early on in Broncos tenure, he'd come out on Monday and say X was a problem. And by Saturday X got fixed. Um, it, it feels a little bit more like that. So I'm curious to see if they make, you know, more plays um, on the ball in the air. All right, Dave, give me what you, give me what you got on the secondary and your, and your confidence level. Yeah. I mean, I echo a lot of what Justin's out said because, you know, it, it's basically the same dudes with the addition of Anthony Johnson and mystery, Mr. Comer. Um, but, I think if I was going to, the thing that encouraged me was, you know, when Bronco talked about, I think it was in his pre spring press conference or when he, when he announced the coaching changes, that's what it was. You know, he said, you know, at the end of the 2019 season, after Bryce Hall got hurt, they kind of struggled in the secondary and maybe he waited too long (laughs) to, to notice that it wasn't, just a not a missing Bryce Hall problem. It was Bryce Hall was covering up some issues, um, and that's I'm just I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he was saying. And you know, it's time to make some changes. So I'm encouraged that it's been recognized, and obviously they, you know, allocated coaching, to, you know, to different positions to try to to make a change. Whether that's enough, we will see in the fall. Um, but you know, recognizing you have a problem, admitting it, and doing something is better than us just watching it relentlessly. But um, I mean, I've, it's the other thing too. Like that's just the modern game. I think you know when you're when you're watching your team get beat, you think it's they're terrible. But a lot of teams get beat unless you create havoc. Like the, the teams that are good in pass coverage, like there's not many elite quarter cornerbacks that can shut down a re- receiver if he has more than three seconds. So. Elite cornerbacks usually are on teams with very good pass rushes. Um, so if you can't go drafting a new defensive backfield, I think the way you you adjust is is to create more pressure on the quarterback, either via sack or via confusion to force more turnovers. Um, I mean, if you want to be an analytics nerd, like a, a sack is you know a sack and turnovers do a lot more than than pass coverage. Um, you know, it, it's better to give up yards and you know. Like you remember the stat, Justin? It's something like you score less than like is it two or three points less per draw that a sack occurs in. Um, yeah, than one that does. It's a pretty. It's a. I mean, I know that we looked at UVA's numbers, like creating negative plays, and yeah, it was pretty staggering to see the difference between you know, like all the drives where they didn't give up points. It was like there was some negative play in there, or it was a three and out. Yeah, which I mean, which goes like so they they go hand in hand so. I mean, changing ups. Basically, Virginia just played a lot of man last year. There wasn't a whole lot of zone, so they played man. When the blitz didn't put any pressure on them, it was, you know, it was field day for good quarterbacks like Hal and others. They played, um, but for the most part, you know, if you go back and watch, like you know, the secondary saved the Virginia Tech game sadly, where they had a couple of bad tackles that cost the team. Um, you know, if they got pressure, the secondary held up decently. They might have given up some underneath stuff, but that happens. Um, so hopefully, the the defensive line, the linebackers, the scheme can create more create more sacks um, from multiple positions, so they don't just have to defend one dude. Um, and then switching up what coverage you're playing behind that blitz, so the quarterback can't just lob it out to the running back or go to the curl every time. Just you know, yeah, I think that's what Bronco's trying to do. It's it's kind of fix an issue, um, be proactive, and, and and try to try to create a little more havoc to help turn the ball over some more. Because ultimately, that's what when you wins your ball games. Um, I mean, Virginia was bad. We watched it, but they weren't like worse in the country bad as far as points per game. They just gave up a lot of big pass plays. So I think he can fix that. Um, Hopefully Johnson helps. I mean, Johnson has good size. Um, keeping the safeties healthy all year would help. And, you know, we'll see. So basically they're trading out. Now they're going to try to create pressure with, you know, six dudes. And, 
or five out of six dudes. And then they're replacing one of the linebackers with a defensive back to help the secondary. And there's, there's ways you can play that three, three stack blitz five guys and always have a safety deep while playing zone and man underneath. So that should help. All right. The last thing I want to talk about on the football front tonight is I mentioned this in the, uh, three takeaways piece that I wrote today. Um, but I thought the entire portal discussion and the conversation around, you know, how to handle it as a program and, and how to handle like the roster and succession planning and stuff. I just thought that was extremely fascinating. Not that, that Bronco sort of unearthed any new topics though. That was the first time I had heard about, you know, potentially schools wanting to almost exclusively recruit the transfer portal, knowing that those kids would not be able to transfer again. Um, which is one of those like unintended sort of consequences. And you're just like, Oh man, like that, that, that struck me a little bit, but, but in the bigger picture, you know, so for this season, at least the 85 scholarship limit is they've got relief from that. Right. Which means that they don't have to worry about only having 85 guys on scholarship. And that wiggle room is great. But Bronco's point was essentially like, but without knowing what it's going to be like in 22 and you got all these kids who have an extra year of eligibility, you know, you would expect that you'd have seen super seniors for each class as they came through um, that, you know, was impacted by the COVID year. Uh, and then after that, you would sort of go back to sort of normal. And right now, it sounds like from from the way Bronco talked about it, that essentially schools don't know that that's going to be a thing and that they actually have to sort of plan as if almost as if it's not going to be right that next year all of a sudden the 85 limit comes back and they got to figure out um, now, how do you recruit in 22, not knowing how many seniors you're going to have who actually move on, not knowing how many guys you're going to give a fifth year to um, guys who, you know, would, you know, kind of were on their normal trajectory to redshirt and all that fun stuff. Um, I don't think there's a right answer in any of this without more information, but I wanted to bring it up tonight because um, it certainly does change a lot of the ways that you think about, um, the sort of normal development of, of your roster, right? So you think about those offensive linemen that came back. That's great for this year. Um, but what it does is it compresses things a little bit, right? Where suddenly there is more pressure put on guys who maybe didn't don't get their time. And those guys might go in the portal. And that's one of the things Broncos really worried about is that essentially that schools are going to be putting guys in the portal that then have nowhere to go because there are there are more players in the pool, so to speak, than there are scholarships for them, and that's probably always the case. But it's even more the case when you have so many guys who are choosing to sort of take that extra year. And I just wanted to kind of toss that out to you guys and get some thoughts. I, I personally, I, like I said, I found the whole entire thing fascinating, um, distressful in a, in, a, in a handful of different ways, but but fascinating nonetheless. Ferber, let's start with you. Just give me some general takeaways or some general thoughts on on that aspect of it and how concerned you are about where this thing goes from here. Um, I mean, that's where it kind of comes back to just creating a good culture and making sure that, you know, you're taking care of your players and and players understand where they they stand and, and, you know, you can kind of keep your roster lined up the way you want. You don't have a ton of guys leave unexpectedly, whatever. Um, The portal is an asset you don't want it to be like the destruction of your program, but if UVA continues to have a good football culture, then I don't think that that'll be an issue. Um, and if they continue to have a good football culture, I think that they'll be able to attract talented players and get, get guys that come in, you know, later in their careers to potentially take a shot at the NFL. You look at like Tony Poljan who, who came in and did that Rayshon Henry, you know, he, he could have another good year and then be on his way to the pros and, Obviously, it does affect the way that you're, you know, constructing your roster and all that stuff. But um, I trust this coaching staff to manage those things effectively, considering the limitations they've had at other jobs and at BYU and then at UVA. You know, kind of they've had they've always had a pretty good model for roster construction, and I think that they'll do fine with this. But it's certainly going to hamstring some teams, and some teams are really going to take advantage of it. I think. About you, Dave. What's your? I mean, is it is it the the downfall of college football as we know it? Like, I think the next few years are going to be kind of chaos for everyone. There's going to be some kids who make decisions that end up with them having to go to D three and play without a scholarship. And like, there's going to take some horror stories before kids really consider their options 
like, you know, a little more thoroughly. Um, and I understand what Bronco was saying. Um, so, you know, big picture, I think my focus is on two things. Like I feel really bad for class of 2022 recruits. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of kids reclassify if they're able, because there's gonna be a lot of 2022. Recruits. Who do you want to go? Do you want to offer, you know, unless you're a top of the line, like five or four, you know, high four star talent or even low four star, but four or five star talent, right? If you as a college coach have, let's say nine or 10 spots left on your roster with your, all your guys coming back with, with their free year eligibility and the transfers you've picked up, you've got 10 guys you can sign, but there's a transfer portal. Do you want to sign 10 high school guys, try to develop them? develop them worry about them transferring out year one year two year three or do you want to go find a transfer who can't transfer now without having to sit out and might be willing to wait a little more um i think down the road that all evens out right like you've kind of found a nice balance between the two but short term like the class of 2022 is gonna kind of take it <laughs> and then you know i know we felt bad for the 2020 seniors and now the 2021 seniors but the 2022 seniors might have it worse than any of them um but they're also like what Bronco said, like feeling bad about the guys going to the portal and not having a scholarship. Like, look, I get where he's coming from. Um, but if the players are going to get more freedoms, I don't think you have to feel bad if they make bad choices. And you can feel bad for them on the individual level, but as a whole of the problem, like, look, there's consequences to freedoms, right? <laughs> like, you have the choice to go in the portal, but we, they also have a choice not for anyone, for no one to pick you up and you not have a home. Um, that's like you know, if you want adult rights and you know you want adults of the free enterprise that is also the consequences of free enterprise like i could quit my i could close down my store and open something different tomorrow but it might fail um but that's my right so it's it's interesting it, like i really like i think we all kind of want to know how this thing is going to go but i mean Five or six years, I think your tone of you know player freedom and stuff is going to kind of die down a little bit because there's going to be some it's going to be some kids who miss out on the opportunity to get a good education um, or to finish an education because they lose their scholarships. And I know right now, like you know, that's the least of everyone's worries. It's all about in you know name, image, likeness. Like you're talking about one percent of kids are going to generate that kind of revenue. It's all the other kids I worry about. That's fair. I mean, I was actually thinking about this Sunday. I was cutting grass. I'm turning 47. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about this the other day. I was cutting grass and I was thinking about, you know, compression in general. Right. So you have, you know, this is, this is going to be a thing in, in basketball to some degree, because in basketball, there's a lot more guys moving around classes. And so think about it. So guys are going to move back and are going to move back and going to move back and going to move back. Right. You're also going to have, you're going to have pieces of the puzzle that, don't present themselves until too late in the process. Now, I believe that it's July one that if you're going to transfer and you're going to be in the portal, you have to essentially do it by then. I believe if I believe that's right, right is what the NCAA said. So that there is some sort of cutoff for teams to know, right? the The more I I, th- I think about it, the more I heard Bronco yesterday talking about it, and um, y- you know there is a there is a piece of this whole thing which is like. If you know what you're supposed to do, you know what you're looking for, you can actually you can actually handle this. Now, Virginia has had, for football well, um, they have had a really good amount of success with transfers, right? So Bryce Perkins, obviously, transfer who did exceptionally well for them. Um, I mean, heck, Kurt Benkert, you know, did pretty well for them too. Um, last year, you know, Paul Jan, Henry, um, you know, guys who, who were important pieces – um, Adib, um, you know, the Simpson kid, it, 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 it all makes sense to me that Virginia has an idea of what they want. And now they have a little bit of like that. Um, okay. Uh, we can go to a kid and say, if you come here, we have shown that we can incorporate transfers pretty well. And guys, guys come here and they, you know, for the most part, they succeed. Um, the way the portal is changing though, and the way that it is impacting the big picture and recruiting and everything else, I, I'm worried that it's going to be more of a crapshoot um, in a way that it just hasn't been before. Um, you know, you think about immediate playing time in, in basketball and that, 
that certainly we saw that this year, and we're going to see it significantly, you know, more in, in the in the years to come as as you know the the transfer um, rules rule changes kind of um, their impact fan out. Football is just different, man. And you might you might be able to find a receiver or a DB or whatever, but you're it's still going to take you some time. Um, and I don't think that there's this there is this sort of misnomer out there that that the reason that the transfers are up is because kids nowadays can't stick with it. And the reality is is that if the rules were different, if the culture was different, it used to be if you were taking a transfer, you worried that kid was like a knucklehead and a half, right? You're you're, you're worried like why is that kid leaving? Used to, you know, that was the, you know, that, you know, essentially some of those kids are just damaged goods, right? You don't want to, well, you don't want to bring that problem into your locker room, that kind of thing. If the rules had been different decade ago, two decades ago, and kids could transfer without penalty and there was a, you know, and, and it was more acceptable, who knows what the situation would look like. But there is definitely that sort of negative connotation with it that, you know, will be interesting to see how it changes. But certainly from, from UVA standpoint, Looking at the numbers and looking at the class, looking at sort of what your needs are, um, given how much Bronco puts into guys and, and his own stance on, you know, bringing red shirts back for their fifth year and that they have to earn that, the idea that guys are going to get their extra year, that's another thing, right? Like that's just another piece of the of the equation that they're going to have to prove um, that they're worthy of. Um, and they can't just come back to come back. You're not just – you know, hey, let me you know get another year on my masters or whatever, right? Like it's, um, it's going to it's going to require guys to 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 make those strides, and I think what happens with this group of super seniors is going to be um, extremely important as far as how Bronco sort of views the whole um, situation. All right, let's uh, let's finish up this week with a little touch, a little, little just a little, just a little bit, a little bit of the transfer portal on the hoop side. Um, word broke today that that Henry Coleman, a decision I think that um, you know. There were rumblings out there that this was probably coming. Uh, is leaving Duke uh, has entered himself into the portal. Um, the general consensus seems to be that VCU is likely to be the choice. Um, I think you're probably you're probably foolish if you don't think Virginia Tech will likely be in there as well. Um, I, <laughs> so I I didn't mean to like stoke the flame, but I I just saw it and thought it was funny and put you know like how UVA fans saw Henry Coleman in the portal and you know got excited. I'm just curious if it matters to you guys. Um, you know, Henry's a guy that we, we've talked a lot about over the years and certainly talked a lot about on the message board. Um, I, I'm not sure how, you know, I, I'm not sure how receptive, honestly, um, that one would be. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's a situation where um, he looks back on his recruitment and, and the way UVA uh, recruited him and thinks like man in the way a lot of these bounce back kids work for UVA I don't know if, if he's in, in that position um, but you know we'll see if they're interested in, in, in where it goes Dave when you saw the news about Coleman being in the portal did you have an immediate reaction and if so what was it yeah my first reaction is we're gonna have to talk about this tonight um, no look I mean, I started thinking like how would he, how would he fit like everyone else. Um, I mean, I wasn't super surprised. I mean, I got. I mean, I was a mod. I'm probably more surprised than you were, Brad. But um, I mean, he made the choice to go to Duke, kind of knowing what kind of program that is. So if he's leaving now because he brought in some dudes, sorry, as my remote falls in the background, because um, they brought in some dudes, like that's going to happen every year at Duke. So you probably made the wrong choice to start with, but. Um, yeah, I mean, does he fit in Virginia? I think you can make an argument he'd, he'd be a good addition, and I think you could make an argument he's it's kind of redundant. Um, but you know, with what non guys on scholarship, eventually you got to add somebody. So every time someone enters the portal, we're texting about it. Yeah, I mean, there's you know, I saw the Hamilton kid at Maryland, who was another guy UVA recruited, is also in the portal. Um, it, because UVA, you know, has such a background with these kids that they've recruited once, um, it makes a lot of sense that anybody who goes in the portal that they recruited, you know, that that immediately becomes a storyline. Ferber, when you saw Coleman's name, you know, a guy who they obviously were very interested in and, and, and very, um, you know, recruited pretty hard, uh, when you saw he was in there, did you, other than other than knowing we had to talk about it, um, what, what was your general reaction? Yeah, I mean, I was a little surprised for this reason that Dave just mentioned, which is that like 
if you're going to Duke with the intention of being a four-year player, like, what do you think happens there? Like, you're going to get caught up in the machine. And, like, and that doesn't mean you can't play and have a good time and get a good degree and all that. But there's going to be guys that come up behind you, five-star recruits, <laughs> every year. Like, that's just the way it is. Um, maybe he didn't feel like he played enough this year. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that – it's interesting. I mean, it's a name, obviously, UVA fans are very familiar with. Um, you know, personally, I think if you're leaving Duke, you're probably looking for a bigger role somewhere and and um, probably not like three years from now or two years from now, but like pretty soon. And for that reason, I don't know. I mean, I think he fits UVA because, Dave, as Dave said, like UVA is like nine players on the team. So if Henry Coleman wants to be player number 10, um, then I would take him. But um, I don't know if UVA is a great fit for him if he wants to play more just because what is, I mean, like, I don't understand what his role would be on the 2021-22 team if you have Gardner. Um, and this is part of the reason that, and I'll just say it here now that we're a few years away. Like, I, again, I would take him. I, I think he's got talent. I think he could be a good addition. But I think he's sort of a tweener player. Um, you know, he's like a small big. He's like six, seven, maybe. Um, doesn't play like a guard. Can't really stretch the floor. Um, or it hasn't shown that. And that's, I think, what UVA needs. You mentioned Hamilton. I think he's a better fit for next year's team because he has a skill set that UVA would probably need more. Um, I think Coleman could develop into a really good player. But I think the emphasis on the develop, like over time, he could become like a really good player. Um, I didn't see anything from him at Duke this year that makes me think that I was wrong in what I thought about him. Like, I think he's a really talented player. I think he's a good kid. I think he's he's gonna go places. I I just don't think he's like, like when they got Jabri, and obviously that didn't work out. Um, hey man, he I thought he could back. come in make it. I thought, yeah, yeah. I thought he could come in, make an impact, score, um, do a lot of different things. He could score inside, outside. Um, you know, could potentially maybe guard multiple positions. I, I think Coleman is a different kind of player, and that's why I wanted Jabri. It, you know, if because if, UVA was sort of deciding between the two for a spot, um, I, I think he'll probably end up elsewhere. Um, I wouldn't. I know people are probably going to get really excited about this one, but I just don't think. Unless he really just wants to play for UVA, I don't really see. Which he could have done happen. already, like so. Yeah, I mean, like I don't. I, I just unless unless he's like I just I made a mistake. That's where I want to be, which I don't think is what's happening here. Yeah, um, I don't. Yeah. I don't see it. I think his role at UVA could potentially be bigger than it was at Duke, but I think he's like a role player for UVA, and I don't. I doubt that's what he's looking for if he's in the portal. I think if I were UVA, like if if you're. Like, look, we're, no no one knows anything about UVA going after Coleman. I know. Um, I think if you if you were to make an argument for why he would make sense for Virginia, other than the fact that they need dudes, period, um, is that I think like his upside is probably what Gardner is now, just an undersized physical guy who kind of is crafty and can score the ball. Yeah. So him coming in and playing Gardner in practice every day and learning, you know. I don't want to say learning from him, but learning from him um, and trying to emulate that might be his best shot. Um, and then obviously, you know, working on it, working on the jump shot. So I can make an argument for Virginia bringing him in just because you need, you need bodies. And I think he could, he'd be a good dude for Gardner to go against. He'd be a good dude to learn from Gardner. And I think in a perfect world where he kind of blossoms in that role, you've got a replacement for Gardner down the road, but, I, I don't see it happening because like, I don't think you can play him on the floor at the same time. Um. All right. Here's my my thought on Coleman, and and I don't think I mean my, watching him at Duke, I, it only really confirmed this for me. Coleman is an effort guy, who I believe you will you can win with. He might not necessarily fit into um, a normal sort of preconceived notion of what a combo guy like that should be he is certainly you know if he was if he was like two inches taller right he's a very different person you know in terms of you know player right um 
he is in by all estimations sort of a um a guy who is a tweener i mean there's really no way around that he doesn't he's not a person he's not a guy who wants to go out and shoot a lot of threes um he's certainly not a guy who can create his own shot but he can give you a lot of stuff that teams just kind of need and with the roster flexibility uva has and again i'm again i want to be very clear on this like i'm not I'm, we're talking about this because he's henry coleman and because you know there's this is he's been connected to uva you know since the carter administration okay um but like you can win with a kid like him and uva doesn't have many guys right now that you can look at and say like i know exactly who this piece is right and watching him at duke he he was going to be good on the glass he was going to be you know he's going to give you great effort he's going to um you know he was going to max out on d you know he was going to do the little things um Clearly, Justin Anderson, I think, was more talented overall. But in a lot of ways, that was who Justin Anderson was, right? He wasn't, he, you know, he had a little stretch there where he was, you know, he shot the three pretty well. But in terms of being a guard who could, you know, he wasn't, Justin Anderson was not a guy who was going to like, you were going to clear out for and he was going to take a kid off the bounce, right? Uh, he was athletic. He got to the rim. Um, you know, he, he certainly could do a lot of different things. But he wasn't a guy who could just like put the team on his back. Right. He was a guy who 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 put the team on his back by doing all the little things and just maxing out his effort. And there was a lot of Henry Coleman. Uh, there's a lot of that in, in, in terms of what I saw from Justin Anderson. There's a lot of that from it, that, that seems like an echo. And so I don't think like UVA is because um, I, I don't think they're going to get him anyway. But that's a kind of kid that that UVA hasn't had in a while. You know, um, just a dude who just goes out there and just makes a bunch of little plays. Little things, you know, tracking down a loose ball here, getting a, a key rebound there. Um, you Not everybody has to be, you know, a, a program changer. Some guys can – you need you need those glue guys, as cliche as that is to say. Um, and that's kind of what I've always saw in Coleman is a guy who just makes your team better. Um, so, again, it's, it's, it's moot because I don't, I don't think that they're going to be uh, in really involved. And I won't, I won't be surprised if – if Coleman commits pretty soon, um, you know, but it, I think that it, because like I said, because he's Coleman and because it's, you know, it's a topic of conversation, I sort of opened the door myself by putting that thing out on Twitter. So anyway, um, as of now, at least it seems like UVA is somewhat quiet, uh, on the, on the portal side. Um, but, um, anyway, um, I think, uh, that's a good place to put a pen in it. Um, I want to, um, again, say publicly, thank you to, uh, to Dave for um, basically moving the podcast so he could have his birthday off uh, and 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 say happy birthday to him because he he deserves it he's uh, uh, no I don't I don't know if I know anybody who works as hard as Dave does I feel like every time he talks you need to, you need to meet more people oh here we go <laughs> you, you and your and your self-deprecation um, if you're somebody out there who found the podcast through the website thank you very much for giving us a listen if you don't mind look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast wherever it is that you get your programs and if you're so inclined to give us a rating or a review, we very much appreciate it. Now, if you're somebody who has found the pod, has not given us a look at the website yet, check us out, CavsCorner.com. Let's see. Uh, I got a whole bunch of stuff on spring ball. Um, baseball is, uh, you know, um, I, you know, I kind of thought maybe they turned a little bit of a corner. Damon's been doing a great job, regardless of whether or not they were uh, playing well or not. Um, but he's done a good job keeping that covered uh, as well. And, uh, hey, look, you know what? Recruiting season, it, you know, spring ball will be done soon. It'll be all recruiting all the time. So give us a look at the website. Um, again, I want to say happy birthday to Dave. I want to thank him and Ferber for giving graciously of their time. As always, I very much appreciate all that they do. So for David Smith and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon. That's